All right. Well, Jamie, let's get started. Thanks for joining me today. Why don't we start by you telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Josh. Yes, I'm Jamie Hitchens. I have been recruiting for coming up on almost 17 years, not to age myself, but I have been in a variety of capacities within recruiting. So in-house agencies, um, I've had my own clients and currently back to doing that now with Hive Talent Partners. That's awesome. Yeah. And we go back many years. I think we originally met on a webinar. Maybe we were at Glassdoor at the time. I don't know, like definitely pre-pandemic, like five, six years ago yes. or something. Yes, so least. it's so yeah. it's good to good to reconnect and it's been great to see you start your own company and Speaking of that, we'll love to learn more about Hive and what you're up to. Yeah, thank you. So started Hive Talent um, in October, was looking to to get back to my own clients. I had been in-house at a tech company as the head of talent, which was great, but was really craving doing my own thing again. And just seeing the market change so much between pandemic, post-pandemic, all the layoffs within tech. Um, I was ready to approach it in a different way and kind of meet the market where it is now, which is very different than two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And so I started Hive um, to serve clients in a variety of industries, but on more of a fractional model instead of the typical contingency agency model. Um, personally, I was finding and hearing from other people and clients that that was a bit more of an outdated model and not really what people were looking for anymore. So I felt that, you know, I see a lot of CMOs and, and CTOs going fractional and I thought, why can't we do that with recruiting? Um, and I've found that it's worked very well. We've had a, a really fast ramp up time and um, it's been really fun and a wild ride and we've got a team um, at Hive and we're supporting a variety of industries, which is really fun. You know, historically I've been pretty tech focused, but I'm learning a lot about all sorts of different um, industries, which is great. That's great. So you've already got a team. How many people are with you? Yeah, right now I have three recruiters working with me. Um, I've worked with two in the past and so it was fun to... Um, to, to bring them back, get the gang back together, and uh, we're, we're rocking and rolling. And the way that I um, match the recruiters with the clients is really based on their expertise, whether it's, um, you know, one of my recruiters, she has a really big sales recruiting background, so I typically match her with those kinds of roles. Um, you know, another person has a big finance recruiting background, match him with those. Um, and also industries, if they've done something within a specific space, try to match those up because they can talk the talk. Got it. And when you work with your clients, are you plugging into whatever systems are already using or how does that process work? As often as we can, sometimes they do have an ATS and Slack and all that. Sometimes they are working off Google Sheets and we can meet them there too. So um, as integrated as we can be with them, we try to be, but we can also be real scrappy and wing it and try to um, put some kind of a process in place for them um, without maybe all the all the bells and whistles that they may not have yet. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a question I had is like generally you come in, uh, like you said, and you match a recruiter with a client, but what are... What are the objectives? Is it, you know, they just need more recruiting bandwidth, so they tap you guys in, or is it that plus we need process optimization? We have a lot of challenges that we're, we're dealing with, and, and in that respect, it's more of an advisory type of role. Exactly. It can be all of the above. Um, often the companies that are coming to us are people that 
um, typically CEOs, CEO founders that don't have an in-house recruiting function. You know, they've been doing a lot of the recruiting themselves. They don't have the bandwidth. It's exhausting. It's a full-time job. So they're looking for somebody like Hive to come in and help support them, whether they have one immediate role or maybe a couple roles in the next quarter. You know, typically they're not ready to quite bring on an in-house recruiter because um, their volume of recruiting is it, hiring is not that high yet. Um, sometimes it is that they do have an in-house recruiting function, but those people are just, their recruiters are just strapped for time. And, yeah. um, or maybe they're more junior and they just need somebody, um, some more support from, you know, maybe an exec search level. So we, we, um, we help out there. Yeah. And then sometimes they need all the bells and whistles, everything from us writing the job description, um, putting some process in place, giving them interview trainings, um, everything down to how to negotiate offers. You know, we do that for them, but we also guide them along the way. We give them real-time feedback and act as a mentor as much as possible. So we give as much as they need. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And I think to your point, that's where it kind of uh, differentiates against the traditional recruiting model, which is more of a bandwidth play or go out and help us find these people. And that's kind of it. Um, but it seems like you guys are taking a much more holistic approach, which is great. Would you say a lot of your clients are in this like transitional phase where, like you said, they don't maybe need, you know, a dedicated in-house talent function yet, but hiring starting to become consistent and you're somewhat of that bridge between those two periods? Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes um, they, you know, typically what I say is if you're not going to hire any more than maybe 10 people in a year, you're probably not ready for an in-house recruiting function. After that, it probably makes sense. Um, so generally they're in these, their growth stage of their company. So they are thinking, okay, I need to get these key players in place. You know, their first head of, first head of marketing, first head of sales, whatever it is. Um, and then we help kind of build a team under that person or those people. And then from there, um, depending on their revenue and their growth, they're ready to hire a recruiter from there. And we can help facilitate that. And I have a great network and I want all my recruiter friends to be employed right now. So I <laughs> will gladly make introductions um, to, to those people as well to get them in place to take over. Yeah, that's great. Um, it, it almost seems like in some ways, when you guys do a really good job, your clients actually get to a point where like they're ready to now start doing that in house. It's almost like you graduate them, um, which is which is really interesting. And I'm sure it's really good for you because it allows you to be very focused on the types of clients that you serve, knowing that, you know, that might be the case down the line. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And generally, I know you mentioned like some dynamics of these organizations, but is there like a typical company size you guys are working with? Great question. Um, it has varied. I would say the typical is one <laughs> from like the CEO founder to um, one to let's say 20 is pretty is pretty standard. Um, we do work with larger companies too that just need more recruiting support. Um, but I'd say definitely more of those smaller companies who are in that growth phase that are going to probably really blow up over the next year. Yep. So with those types of companies, like right now, I mean, what's top of mind for them? What are the big challenges that they're facing? Yeah, I think a lot of times what I'm finding is the CEO slash founder is doing most of the work themselves. They're doing the marketing they're they're okay at it they've gotten the company this far but now they want to hand it over to a true marketer for example um so you know the pain point of 
as as a founder, you want to do everything as long as you can until you bring on resources. I have found, including for myself, it is better to bring on the resources earlier on so you don't burn out, so you can really rely on experts to take on, you know, the heavy lifting um, of of the things that whether you maybe you don't want to do them or you're not the expert in them, and so you can hand those off. Um, and then I think just time. Time is so precious. These people are spending so much time recruiting themselves, trying to, you know, post jobs, get through resumes, reach out to people on LinkedIn, and there's not really a set recruiting strategy because that's not their expertise. So we right. come in, we take out all off their plate, all the things that just is taking so much of their time, things they don't really want to be spending their time on. And we're only giving them the best candidates to talk to. So it actually ends up being a really quick process. You know, we placed two directors within three weeks. You know, these clients are thrilled. They just can get on with their day, but also get on with growing their business much yep. quicker. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you like engage a client, how do you determine where you need to start with that client? What needs to be built out first or done first? Yeah, we have, um, so in an initial call, I just like to learn about the company, make sure that it's something I feel that we could support and it's a good match. Um, and then when we decide that it is, um, we do a more formal uh, kickoff intake call where we are truly getting into um, the, the business, the history, the goals, the, the revenue, the revenue goals, um, current team, um, pain points of hiring, all of those things. Um, do they have a job description? Do they need one? Uh, let's still look at it and probably you know optimize it. Do you have an ATS? Okay, let's see how we're going to run this process. Is it through you know a candidate tracker that we're creating? Um, and do you have Slack? Can we invite you to our Slack? You know, it's, it's kind of just trying to make everything as streamlined and seamless as possible. I'd say usually it's more of the, the, the former where they don't have all the tools. And so we try to integrate them into ours to make it easy for them. Um, and sometimes they do have the tools and they're thrilled that we want to be in the tools. You know, we want to be in greenhouse. We want to get candidates in through that way. We want to, you know, push them through the process and have, your team assigned to the scorecards and all that, it just keeps it easy. So we try to act as much as possible as an embedded in-house recruiter without actually being on their payroll. Got it. So when you're talking to candidates, are you essentially acting as if you're part of the company? We're open in that we are from high talent, but that yep. we're representing the business. Um, so, and nobody's balked at that yet. You know, I know agency recruiters can get a bad rep, but we, uh, <laughs> I think um, we were very open and transparent about it. We also have done such due diligence and such research around the, the company and the client. We, we know them so well by the time we're talking to candidates. So we're not like, oh, we think this is the role. I don't know if that's what they do. Or, you know, we really have all the answers so they don't feel like we're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks when we reach out to candidates. We really know the clients. We know their personality at this point. We know exactly the kind of personality that would fit into the business as well and, and the skills that are um, at top of mind for the client. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. How are you navigating, you know, so with these smaller clients, let's say a 20 person company, the odds are pretty low that candidates know much about them, right? Unless for whatever reason they're following the company. So how do you navigate that when you're going out to recruit for a relatively unknown company? And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, it just is what it is with a small company, right? Um, how do you make the impression on the candidate that this is a company that I should really engage with and, you know, see this process through when A, it's so easy for people to apply to a gazillion jobs nowadays. So inevitably they're getting, you know, a bunch of responses back. And so ultimately, 
candidates have to pick and choose where they spend their time. So when you're a relatively unknown brand, like what are some things that you can do to encourage them to continue to opt in to the rest of your process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for us, I think it really starts with very targeted outreach messaging and really selling the opportunity. Um, when it's not a brand name, not not a rec recognized uh, business, so that's what we learned from the client early on. What can what are what are this what are the selling points? You know, between the business, where it's gone, where it's going, um, who are you serving? What are your goals? Um, and what are the opportunities within this role? You know, are they going to have a ton of autonomy? Are they going to run a team? Are they going to be able to build things from scratch? That's not for everybody. You know, usually at these size companies, you're really coming in and it's kind of just you and you're scrappy and you're hands on, even at the, you know, leadership level. Um, that doesn't appeal to everybody, but also we understand we're not going to go after the, the fang company, you know, uh, people for those roles typically, because that's just not going to translate as well. Um, so we like to do, a, you know, as much of a deep dive into the right profiles on LinkedIn as, as we can to really understand, like, would this type of role be of interest, but also then in our targeted outreach messaging to them, highlighting the selling points um, and just offering an exploratory chat. It doesn't have to be a formalized thing. We can figure out in five minutes if it's of interest or not, but try to give them as much information up front so they're not having to do the digging their, themselves, their own research. Like, we will link their, the Glassdoor reviews. We'll... You know, obviously the website, like the, the, the profile of, you know, the employees there and, um, you know, any press there's ever been or anything like that and just really try to sell them, but in a realistic way too. Yeah. And how are you dialing into what the profile of that candidate looks like when it's such a, a young company, there's not a lot of historical track record on, okay, we hire yeah. this person for this role and this is what that, this is what... A successful person uh, will look like in that role just because there's not the history. So how do you dial into that right. with the founders right. or whoever else you're working in, on within the business? Yeah, great question. So typically, um, right after we do the intake meeting, where we're really honing in on all the ideal things that come that will come within a profile of a candidate. Um, right after we're sending them, usually like a handful of calibration candidates, just to ensure we're on the right track. So. The client gives us feedback, very detailed feedback, like, I like this, I don't like this, it would be better if they had this. So we are um, on the same page. We also give feedback, like, I know you want this, you're probably not going to get it, not at this stage of your company, mm -hmm. um, or it's going to cost you this much or whatever. So we, it's kind of a little bit of a back and forth dialogue up front of, of what is realistic and what they want and what we can get them. So they are all on the same page and they're not expecting something that we don't believe we can actually deliver. Yep. And when you think about the messaging that you're going out to market with and trying to attract these candidates, I think, and probably founders of a, of a startup tend to maybe do this more uh, than others, is you have this tendency, you want to like tell candidates all the things you want to tell them about the company and all the reasons you think the company is so cool. Like, I, I mean, we did this too. Like when, when, when we were reaching out to candidates or when I was reaching out and doing our recruiting, you know, I would say all these things about the company. We have this many customers or these customers are in this many countries, like all this stuff. At the end of the day, it's like, they can't, I mean, they care, but like, they don't, that's not really why they're going to engage with you in the hiring process. And so exactly. I think like founders have the tendency to do that because it's like, it's their baby, it's their company. They're really okay. proud of their accomplishments and they should be. And those things should certainly be highlighted at a certain point. 
But how do you distinguish when you're working with clients like, okay, these are the things about your company, but these are the things that candidates really care about. And how do we lean into, you know, who are the right fit for um, from the candidate's perspective? Exactly. Um, I think it's, again, going back to being as upfront in that outreach messaging as possible. I have one client right now where in my outreach, I tell candidates, look, you're not going to have a marketing budget. Are you comfortable with that? Have you dealt with that? How how can you be creative coming into a small startup and and really drive some you know quick ROI without having much many many dollars behind it? Yeah. Um, you know, I have an accounting client who our big selling point is during busy tax season, nobody works more than fifty hours a week. They just won't let their employees work that. That is kind of unheard of, especially if people are coming from big four. Um, that's what they want to hear. They're so burnt out. You know, they want to come to a place that really values work-life balance. Yes, they're still going to be challenged in their role, but they are appreciated as humans. They are encouraged to take time off. They're not encouraged to work 70, 90 hours a week during busy season. So it's things like that. I think there's specific levers, especially within specific industries that are going to be interesting to, to, to some people more than others. Yeah. And the accounting example is great because like nobody else other than an accountant that's worked during a busy tax season would would really understand what that means. Um, but it sounds like you've really dialed into to who are the types of people that you're trying to attract and, and what's important to them. And I think, you know, that leads me to another question. You just mentioned a couple different types of companies, uh, an accounting firm being one of them. You're recruiting for all these different types of companies and therefore all these different types of roles. And I'm sure there's people that are listening that are in a talent acquisition seat in-house somewhere that are recruiting for a wide variety of roles as well. How do you really like get yourself in the right mindset and gather the knowledge you need and everything you need really to run a successful hiring process? Because like the mind shift and the switching between role to role can be really daunting. Um, so I'm just curious about how you approach that in consulting, because I'm sure people could pull that into their everyday jobs. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the fun part. Historically, I've mostly worked within tech, um, or like creative, uh, agencies, but I actually love that I'm doing a little bit of everything. You know, I've got, yes, the, the tech clients for sure. Um, but also like the accounting firm and we've got, um, you know, a dating site client, we've got, um, what else do we have? We have, you know, um, an insurance client, we've got, um, uh, you know, uh, a real estate client. So I think it actually makes it super fun and it helps me differentiate because sometimes when you have say multiple tech clients, you're like, Oh my God, which one am I talking yeah. about right now? <laughs> you know, like you get Fair enough, yeah. in your head. This is fun. I'm like, okay, this is a very specifically different industry. Plus, it's so fun. I'm learning so much about other industries. You know, I'm doing my own research, but I'm also just asking what may seem like one-on-one questions to the client, but they're happy to answer because they want me to be as well-informed as possible. So I'd say it's actually sort of easier for me to differentiate when it's a different industry, you know, that I'm talking about every day or during the day, um, but also it makes it really fun because I'm learning a lot. And I actually learn a lot from candidates too, who have obviously been well-versed in this industry for a while. Um, so I think it, I think it's actually a fun, a fun thing. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you just have to ask really good questions and you have to be a really <laughs> yeah. good listener, um, yes. to, you know, have <laughs> good dialogue, both with the hiring manager and also with the candidates about those types of roles. So you just mentioned a bunch of different types of clients. Are there 
patterns that you see, you know, like certain organizational or hiring process dynamics that you see across all of these companies, regardless of industry, um, that seem mm. to be coming to light? Like maybe it's certain problems they're all facing or, you know, anything like yeah. that that jumps out to you? Yeah, I would say some industries are a little easier to recruit for than others right now, um, just because there's a little more stability, I would say. Um, although that can also create a problem because there is stability when you're trying to pull candidates from a company. They're like, ah, I've been here seven years. I don't know if I want to take a risk to maybe come to a smaller company. Um, I'm set, I'm comfortable. Uh, so it kind of varies, but I would say the common theme is, especially in a smaller business, a smaller company with less employees, culture is so paramount at that stage. I mean, it's important at every stage, but of course, especially when you're a seven person company, you can't run, you can't hide. You're gonna know your, your, your uh, fellow employees very well. And so the interview process can sometimes be longer, even though it's only seven people, it can be longer because they're really, the client's really concerned about finding that right culture fit. Um, Cause they are going to, you know, be real close to that person day in and day out. So yeah. I would say that's something that I find that clients can get tripped up on, maybe second guessing their, their gut feeling about somebody. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, to your point, not only are you going to be working so closely with that person, if you're a 10, 20 person company, but every incremental hire you make just becomes such a critical piece of what becomes your company's DNA um, when you're at that size, right? If you're, if you're 10 people, you hire one person, it's like 10% headcount <laughs> lift. So, um, so I, I, I can, I can definitely see why that's coming up with a lot of your clients. And so now you mentioned that, you know, that can cause the interview process to, to drag out. Is that, would you say it's more of the decision-making or would you say it's more of that like, Hey, I want them to meet with this person and this person and this person. And it's like the different rounds of interviews that a candidate has to go through because they want to like gauge how other people in the company view that candidate. Yes. It's a little above. I think it's a little analysis paralysis. Like, is this the right? And so that's where we really come in and we, we actually help stack stack rank them with our, uh, with our opinion of who we think would actually fit best. So sometimes they just need a third party to come in and say, here's who you should hire. Here's yeah. who I think is going to be the best fit. Here's why, based on what we know about you, your business, your decision-making, who's gonna take the biggest lift off of what you're doing yourself. Um, and yes, yeah, sometimes they do want everybody in the company to meet them and then they want them maybe to meet them a second time. And it's like, yeah. we try to nip that because that's not a great candidate experience, but also if you're not sure after the first three conversations, you know, or three interviews that they've had, it's probably not the right. Person. Yeah. You, you kind of have your answer right there. Um, yeah. if you're unsure, um, that's, that's really interesting though. And I think every company deals with the, you know, uh, paralysis by over analysis, right? Especially when it comes to hiring decisions, you've got a few finalists, you know, maybe some people aren't on the same page or it's just hard to make the decision. And so like, what advice would you give talent acquisition leaders that are a steward of the process and are working with the hiring manager and the hiring manager is like waffling between a few candidates. And to your point, it's not a good experience to drag it out. And if you do drag it out, the odds are kind of high that you're going to lose that candidate because they're going to go somewhere else if you extend the time to hire. So how can talent acquisition leaders help the hiring managers ultimately 
make that decision? Like, is there a certain framework or scorecard or like what type of process would you advise? Yeah, well, in the intake uh, call, we like to understand what they think they want the interview process to look like. And then we make suggestions because we want to have it pretty set from the get go. Okay, they're going to meet after we screen them, they're going to meet you first, then this person, then this person, then if they go, and then this person, and we go, no, either you can combine a couple of those or are they truly a decision maker or are you just needing another opinion? Are they a stakeholder? Um, why would this person, you know, you don't want it to be five steps. Yeah. It's just, it's too long. Um, at the exact level, I get it, but it's at the same time, like what is the true intent for each person meeting them? And, and then the scorecards are very important. You, you know, what are you, what is each person truly testing for? We don't want the same, everybody to have the same conversation with each candidate. That's not getting, gaining any new information. Like, what are we really trying? What is the CFO trying to learn about the person? What is the CEO trying to learn? And what are the peers trying to gather that is going to help them do their job better if they hire this person? So mm -hmm. really trying to coach them, whether it's through scorecards or just interview training on how to show up and make the best use of the time and really pull out the right information from the candidate that's going to make a much easier decision. Yeah. And would you say, like, do you think a, someone working in TA should maintain their own scorecard or recommendation through the process? So like, you know, you get to the end of the process, maybe it's two candidates and the hiring manager, they've got recommendations from everybody in the process. So everybody's given a thumbs up on both candidates and now it's like, you got to make a decision. Do you, would you advise that TA becomes like the tiebreaker in that scenario or offers up their scorecard as essentially the reason why they believe, you know, it should go one direction versus the other? I think so. I think when they're, you know, in a, in a lock, <laughs> lock decision, um, I think that's where we can really play a uh, final decision urger, yep. if you will. Yep. Um, you know, we do debriefs with the client and, you know, all the hiring manager, whoever was in the interview process. And. We hear everyone's feedback, um, and then if they're not sure, we also try to, okay, well, these are the attributes you are going for. Let's kind of rank how, you know, one out of five, this person, you know, and really actually put a little more data and metrics around it because yeah. can't lie about that. That always speaks for itself. Yep. And uh, I think that helps them just visually see, okay, you're right. Like, maybe I like this, maybe I wanted to hang out with this person, you know outside of work, but this person's actually going to drive what we need to get done. And sometimes they just need that neutral third party, whether you're in-house as a, as a recruiter or external. Um, I think recruiters act like that almost as kind of the final, you know, reminder of what we're actually driving towards in this hire. Yeah, totally. And I think if you, if you ask the right questions at that decision-making point, you can help them get to the answer um, they should get to, right? Um, if you circle back to the things you discussed early in the hiring process and you, you go back to what is most important and how do these candidates stack up against what's most important versus how they stack up against all of the scorecards combined and getting people to walk back through that, um, you know, can probably lead them to a decision. And I think also like at the end of the day, you know, when we're, we're human, so when we're interviewing people and we're filling out scorecards and we're doing things at different times of the day or a different week, depending on what's going on, you know, like we can be skewed depending on like what's going on around us. And so I think walking back through that with a fresh set of eyes 
um, and talking through, you know, the interview experience about, you know, whether it's you're deciding between two candidates, I think can be really powerful exercise to ultimately gain clarity on the decision that you need to make. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And then, so tell me about your interaction with, like, I know obviously you're working with CEOs at a small company when they were handling all the hiring, but you also just talked about how in some companies, you know, they want several people, several stakeholders involved in the hiring process. What is your interaction like with all of the different hiring managers? Are you guys collaborating with all of them or is there a single point person? How does that work? We try to just have one to two single point people. Otherwise, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, too many opinions, For sure. too many competing priorities. Um, so usually one, maybe two. There should be a main point of contact who is maybe driving the process and then maybe a hiring manager. Usually it's the same person, but um, right now we're working with a client and it's two different people, but one is the point person. She's going to help push the rest of the people to you know, be able to... Uh, open their calendars for availability for the interviews and help drive the decision making alongside us um so so uh, yeah anything more than two it's too many we we really say this is this is not the best use of everyone's time and if you have more than two stakeholders that really are the main decision makers it gets mucky so we try to coach them that way yeah agreed how do you coach the main point of contact then to engage those other stakeholders to follow the process, do what they need to do on time, get their feedback in, open their calendars, all those things you were just talking about. Yeah, well, I upfront like to understand when they wanna make this hire. Of course, the answer is always yesterday, but realistically, (laughs) I like to understand, you know, okay, so you have all these people you want to meet the candidate. Um, How realistic is it that we can fill this role in two months with all these different schedules and calendars and, having to find hour long blocks on the C-suites calendar, that's really challenging. Um, so just very upfront that the longer it takes for us to just schedule things, first of all, we're still trying to keep a candidate engaged and interested. Second of all, you you need this hire in two months. Like we need your help to help open these calendars up or make a point with your team that this is a priority. They need to be able to move things around. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, one of the biggest challenges that every talent leader, you know, is dealing with on a daily basis is they're working with hiring managers, trying to hold them accountable, trying to get them to do all these things. Um, to those people that are feeling a little frustrated, like how would you, what advice would you have for them to get that buy-in to the process? I know with your clients, you know, you're giving them very clear instructions on this is what you need to do, but like mm-hmm. with people that are kind of out there on their own and they're dealing with all different types of hiring manager personalities, like, what, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, as much as willing as they're able to be, um, having access to calendars, like as soon as the role kicks off is crucial. Um, asking them to block a couple hours in a week just for interviews so we know that we can use that time is so crucial. Um, sometimes it's the hiring manager that we have to tell them, look, we're not able to get any time. Can you nudge them? You know, sometimes we do ask for that help. And it is the, it's the hiring manager's priority, so they're usually more than willing to help Maybe nudge that person to do so. Calendly or any similar tool is also so great. I love when a hiring manager and their team each has one. Then the candidate can even schedule it themselves and it's not all the back and forth. That's just so seamless. So um, as much either automation, whether it's through a Calendly-like tool or as much as we can get access to people's calendars and um, ask them to block specific chunks off each week, that's always been my best bet. Yep, makes sense. 
Now, you, like I mentioned in the beginning of the call, we met when you were at Glassdoor. Uh, you were there, I think, for a few years. Um, Four years, yeah. Yeah, so obviously, you know, you know the importance of employer branding and candidate experience. So when you onboard a new client and perhaps you see they don't really have an employer brand or their candidate experience is out of whack, like... Is that a place you would start before you even start to recruit or how do you figure out like what the needs are there and what are some simple things we can do uh, to really get the ball rolling in the right direction? So you're not just going out to market and it's like there's nothing to share. Yeah, exactly. That is often the case, I will say. Um, I recently had a client, um, awesome guy. He um, is purchasing a company. Um, and so I was going to help, or I am helping him hire for, um, a CTO and, but the company is not well known at all that he's purchasing. That is why he's purchasing it to help make it very well known and, you know, drive an an insane amount of growth over the next three years, but coming in, there's nothing. So what we have focused on is actually his background. He recently sold another business. He's a super amazing entrepreneur you know, talking about his vision, his successes is really where I've started. People, you know, read about him. I share links, I share his profile, share as much information as I can about him and kind of sell him as the draw because also it's really going to be him and this other person only in the beginning. So it's really selling kind of the kind of person and visionary he is. Um, And then from there, you know, there will be more as as the business grows. But yeah, coming out of the gate, it's like I got to sell the CEO, the founder, yeah. and what he has done in the past and what he's planning to do here. And he's also just a great guy. So it's really easy for me to sell him as a person and personality. And um, people people love hearing that too, especially when it's going to be just them and this person. They want to know it's a good person to work with, but also somebody is maybe not their first rodeo. They've actually done this before. They know what they're doing yep. um, and they've done it successfully. Yeah, look, and I think the message there is you got to work with what you got, right? Um, yeah. In in that scenario, like there there is nothing you know related to the company, so you know you got to get creative and think how are we going to position this in the right way. Um, and so I think that's a lesson for everybody out there in the sense that on the surface it might not seem like there is any content or hey we need to work with marketing on this and like it just seems like you won't be able to get anything rolling, but I think. If most people take a step back, they'll realize there are things they can control. There are things that they can do right now, even if it's scrappy and even if it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, the point is, is that you've at least got something that you're leaning into. Otherwise, like, what are you saying, right? What are you saying when you're going right. out and speaking to candidates? So you've got to find something to hang on to. And I think the point there is there's probably more than you think. You just have to be strategic about it. Um, and you know, what you lean into today doesn't necessarily have to be what you lean into tomorrow, but, um, at least you're not stagnant and waiting on other people or other departments to get something done for you. Um, exactly. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say one more thing with a company or example like that, you know, I think the right person is going to actually be excited that there isn't a ton to go off of yet because they get to help drive that. So that's, you know, a blank slate for, for 
you know, a new, a new hire, a leadership level hire is like, Ooh, what can we make this? How can we get this out to market? How yeah. can we get the brand recognition and how can I be part of that? That's exciting to a lot of people too. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to like the profile of the person that you're trying to attract to the organization yep. and who, who you're a right fit for, um, versus who's a right fit for us. And I think if you approach it that way, like your messaging can become a lot more clear. Um, and then you're getting the people that are excited about maybe what you would have perceived as like a weakness. Um, somebody else perceives that as an opportunity. And so, you know, again, I think focusing more so on who, who are we a fit for? Who is our company for? And then trying to attract those people versus trying to figure out like, you know, who, who like we want to bring in, right? And that's where companies, like like you said earlier, like they might say, oh, let's go get like a FANG engineer. It's like, you're not right for that type of person at this stage in your <laughs> at this stage in your company's journey. And so it's, it's really figuring out who you are, who you're for, and then attracting those people. Um, yeah. Now, you know, I guess, like I mentioned at the top of the call, you know, we haven't, we haven't uh, been connected for a few years. So a lot of things have changed. Um, over the last few years, I'm curious from your perspective, like what what's changed in the hiring market? Um, you know, you're you're now seeing a lot of different clients, um, but you also were working in house before you started your business, so you've kind of seen it from both sides. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the market? Yeah, oh boy, a lot. Um, <laughs> I know AI is top of mind for a lot of people. I think that's obviously a very interesting topic. My personal belief, even when the idea of AI taking over jobs six years ago is to an extent, the human experience and connection within recruiting is still incredibly valuable. Um, you know, I don't, if I'm going to look for a new job, I don't want to be necessarily just talking to a bot, you know, yep. trying to get me interested in something. Um, I think AI, as far as automation goes and streamlining, that's wonderful. Um, it'll be very interesting to see where AI goes within this space, but I think um, I think a lot of recruiters are worried about it taking over their careers, and I plan to have this career for the rest of my career, so <laughs> I don't plan <laughs> on it taking me over. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, but I think um, just a lot more automation in general has been amazing to watch over the last few years. Um, different tools at my last company, we brought on new tools that really solve problems that if we had had these, you know, in the beginning of my career, like, oh my gosh, what we could have done with it. But now we have it. And it's like, thank you. Somebody created this. They heard what the recruiters needed they, and the hiring managers wanted. And it used to be a lot of like tools that would just do this or just do this. Now, a lot of them are combined, whether it's, you know, an outreach tool where you can do, you know, email drip campaigns, plus a sourcing tool with an ATS combined, like all these different things, you know, that's so valuable. Recruiters have to go we do so many things. Yeah. Yes, we, we, we recruit, we look at resumes, we have phone screens, but we do all these other very interesting little things during the day that do, that are so time consuming. So anything to streamline that is just the best. Everybody, every recruiter loves that. Um, so I'd say anything automation stream streamlining wise, um, just allows for scale and just a better candidate experience, a better hiring experience for everybody. Yeah. So that's something I've loved is just experimenting with these different tools over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's great. And I've definitely heard the same, you know, I mean, obviously we're a vendor in the HR tech space, but, um, you know, it's been, been a big thing. I would say like over the last five to 10 years, you just saw this explosion of tools, um, 
you know, I would say mostly led by this proliferation of like ATS is building these huge marketplaces. And it's like, let's integrate with all 400 providers and all these different categories. And so everybody was able to carve out a business to hook onto these marketplaces and serve a certain need. Um, and I think that was great, you know, for freedom of choice um, and great uh, for competition in the HR tech space. It makes all the products better when there's when there's companies competing. Um, but I think now what we're seeing is this big desire to consolidate tools. Um, and I think, you know, for one reason, obviously, every company is trying to be more efficient and do more with less. That's a given in today's market. Um, but I think, you know, the point that you made is is probably actually more real to recruiting. And that's like, hey, I want to go in one system that can do all these different things and deal with one vendor versus, you know, cobble all these different things together, have different point people at all these different vendors. Like I'm slammed in my day to day. The last thing I need is to be bouncing between all these different apps and all these different people when I have questions. Um, so it's interesting you're, you're seeing that too, because that's definitely something that we've seen on the market. Um, one more question I want to ask you. So you mentioned, you know, the rise of automation and AI, and there's so many tools, um, you know, that offer efficiency gains. How, like, what would you advise to organizations that might be worried about the impact on the candidate experience when you're using so much automation, as you mentioned, the human experience is, you know, a key aspect to hiring. Um, so how, what, what would you tell companies that are concerned about that? Yeah, I think something that I've done when I've done demos with any tool that we are potentially considering is learning how much of the human experience is involved, um, how much it feels like a candidate does have access to an actual person who cares <laughs> about them during the process. Um, sometimes some tools are just way too automated and they sound robotic. Nobody wants that. That's not a great feeling. Um, you just feel like another number. So I like to learn during the demo, you know, how personalized can we make this? Um, how repeatable is that? Um, how does it kind of have the experience, the demo from the candidate perspective? Like, how does this feel? How does this look? How does this read? Um, some of them are just so, like I said, automated robotic and you're like, it's close, but yeah. if it felt a little more personal, that would be better. Um, that's how I really gauge if it's going to be a good tool that wants that we should, you know, have representing us in the business. Yeah. I think that's a good point is really leaning into how much can you personalize it? And then if you are, you know, implementing a solution, actually doing the work to personalize it, I think a lot mm -hmm. of folks might yeah. buy a tool and it's like, very easy, uh, you know, to unleash the spam cannon, right? Um, and, you know, not put in the effort to personalize or humanize the experience. Um, so I think that's a critical aspect of it. And then I think too, like, at the end of the day, automation and anything that's going to make the process move faster and smoother is also a good thing for candidates, right? Because that means the process moves faster and smoother for them as well. Yes. Um, exactly. So I think I always think it's important too when companies are using these solutions that they actually put that. I think that's like a good message to candidates and like, hey, here's a solution we're using. Here's why we're using it and why it benefits you. And I think. Not only is using the solution good for the candidate because it makes the process move faster, but if you can explain that to the candidate and why you've implemented it, the candidate's perception of you as a brand is they look at you as like, hey, this company's trying to improve their processes. They're on the cutting edge. Um, they're doing things that are thinking about me as a candidate. Um, and as a candidate, I like that about that company. I want to be part of a company that thinks that way. 
um, and is doing things differently to make the process um, better. So, you know, take that for what you will. I think there's a lot of things that you can lean into there. Um, well, cool. You know, I, I guess last thing, I know I said I had one more question, but this is my last question because you have a consulting firm and I want to give you a shout out. When would you say is the appropriate time for a company to consider working with the firm like you versus trying to do it all in house? Like, is there a certain inflection point or pain they're feeling? And that would be a good time for them to reach out to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like before they get to that painful point, <laughs> but they see it on the horizon, that's a good time to reach out. Um, <laughs> it's not always the case because it usually takes a little pain to go, oh God, okay, now I need help. I know that myself, building a business. I, I do the same. I take on a lot and then I go, nope, went too far. Yeah. So. I think um, just understanding um, when you want to hire people, you know, I'd say at least give it a three month leeway. You know, we work really fast, but at least give yourself that time, reach out to us um, and then let's start having the conversation. Maybe you're not ready to totally pull the trigger, but let's have the conversation about what it would be like working with us, what we're going to take off your plate, how we're going to make your life easier, how we'll help streamline things for you and get the right person in place. Um, so that you can also take even more off your plate that you're probably taking on yourself. Yep. Yeah. I think when like recruiting starts to become like, if you don't have an internal talent function and recruiting starts to be come the dominant thing in your day and as a yes. 10 to 15 person company, you're unable to focus on other things that need to be done strategically to drive the business forward. That becomes the time where you need to figure out a way to delegate um, some more yes. of more of recruiting. I always think like it's important for a founder or CEO to be heavily involved and they should always be doing some form of recruiting. Um, but it can't, it can't come at the expense of all the other things that you got to do as such a, as such a young company when you're a founder and pretty much have to wear every hat within the business. Exactly. Yeah. If you're spending more time on recruiting than you are on growing your business, stop. You need help. It's, yeah. it's too much. Yeah. At that point, hit up Hive. <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. Well, Jamie, this is awesome. Um, it was great to reconnect with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Learned a lot today from talking to you, and I know our audience will too, so I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Cool.